0: would you say amen with me amen i want to hear from god if we're not going to hear from god you should just pack up and go because uh this is not a glorified ted conference um it's free uh the coffee's not probably as good but it's free uh but it's not a glorified ted conference we want to hear from god because we need to hear from god there's no other way we can move towards uh figuring out life with jesus without hearing from his word And so uh, we have been in a series around uh, hidden, it's called Hidden Power, around the Holy Spirit. And it's thinking through uh, who is the Holy Spirit of God and what does he um, do in our lives. And we've kind of thought through just a couple different weeks of the Holy Spirit's role in our life is so strong. He empowers all of us to do uh, this Christian life. We're not doing it in our own strength. The Holy Spirit's in us changing our hearts. And the Holy Spirit isn't giving us vision for who God is. The Holy Spirit gives you new desires. So God doesn't just tell you, go do these things. He says he gives you a new desire in your heart and a strength to be able to do these things. And we've looked through walking by the Spirit and and last week about living a holy life. The Holy Spirit is called the Holy Spirit because he wants us to live differently than this world, differently than we did before so we're pursuing obedience because we love what God loves and we hate and dislike what God hates, which is the sin that hurts his creation and his people. But this week, I, I, I want to touch on something that I don't know if many people in here will describe uh, an activity of the Holy Spirit. Again, we're going to talk about gifts of the Holy Spirit and, and being sent on mission with the Holy Spirit in the next couple of weeks. But I want to start with a question that I think you have probably asked in the last week, two weeks, months, years and you are just walk with Jesus. The question is, am I really a Christian? Am I really a Christian? Chris, why would you ask that question? Well, I put that question up here because I assume for anything like me, at any given moment in your walk with Jesus, you have asked that question. And we're, we are a church that honors transparency. We're not trying to protect our image. So if you would be so bold, would you raise your hand if you in the last year or two years, even your walk with Jesus, have ever thought that, had that question, ask that for yourself. Would you, would you, would you raise your hand? Look around, look around, look around. Okay, there you go, come on. So you're not alone. Nothing is, is wrong with just you because you have thought that. This is a question that I have found in my own life and many of the lives of people I walk with. Um, it's a question people are wrestling through. And, uh, and I want to undre- uh, just, just kind of unpack why that is the case, because that means that we are struggling with something that has a deep impact on our walk with Jesus. I think it, the, the doubting salvation, am I really a Christian, kind of keeps you in this place of I'm not ever sure. I'm not ever sure what this looks like. I'm not ever sure if I'm in or I'm out. I'm, I'm often wavering between like going full in with Jesus and like, oh, I can't because I'm not at that position it makes you lack confidence. You can't step into all that I think God has for you as a son and daughter of God, because you're lacking confidence. And if you lack confidence, you lack the ability to move into those things. Then also it breeds this constant introspection you're just constantly looking within, ooh, is that enough? Was that enough? Did I raise my hands high enough? Did I tithe enough? Did I obey enough? Did I pray enough? Did I feel the right thing? And did I, did I do the right thing? And, and does that make me in or out? And so we're constantly analyzing our performance. And that is tiring. That's tiring. I don't think we um, have understood the amount of exhaustion coming from our wavering and our doubting. We're not just doubting. You have this instability always with your life. There's no security or foundation. And that is a rough place to be in this broken world with Jesus asking you to follow him in faith. The doubt that you have often will lead to despair welling up. And I know I've talked to many of you out here, the doubt that's creeping in because of certain things, and we're going to talk about those this morning, And they often lead to not hope, but despair. You're discouraged. You're discouraged at what's happening in you, what's not happening in you, what's happening in other people's lives. There's a despair that wells up, and that, that is a heaviness on your soul, I would imagine. And lastly, that confusion that you and I have because we're asking these questions, am I really a question? Am I saved? That leads to this kind of crippling feeling where we're paralyzed. We're crippled. We, we, we have this, we have this uh, not of ability to move forward. We have this, I can't do anything right, so I shouldn't do anything at all. And I say these things from direct quotes from people I've walked with. This is a real thing that I imagine you and I are feeling even today some insecurity, some doubt, and some confusion. And it leads to these kind of things that we don't want to lead. It's affecting our joy in Jesus. Now, what, is, what does this mean, assurance? Like, like having this confidence that you are a Christian, what does it look like? I just defined it simply as the confidence and security of a believer's present approval and future acceptance by their heavenly Father. Simply put, it's just a confidence, security, that you are presently approved before God right now. He doesn't think of you as someone who is dirty and sinful and worthy of judgment. He sees you as clean because of Jesus' righteousness. And you say, yeah, God, you see me as this. You're agreeing with what how God sees you and say, I'm presently approved. But not just that. I have the security that my future, I'm going to be taken in by God and I'm going to be accepted as well. It's the security and confidence to say, I am who I am to God. I am a child of God. I am saved in Jesus. And there's a confidence, not a wavering about those things that Jesus has sacrificed his life for. A confidence and security. Do you have a confidence and security in the reality of what Jesus has done for you? not what Jesus has done for the world, this is personalized to you, not your husband or your kid or your pastor or your church. Do you have the security to say, this is what Jesus has done for me and I can rest in that? Because here's what I think is the problem. Many of us miss out on this kind of security and confidence and joy because we don't know what to look for. I don't think all of us or many of us have these questions because we're all just frauds and we're not saved. I think the problem is we are looking at the wrong targets and signs. We're overcompensating. We're putting too much weight on certain things that don't need to have that much weight. We're putting little weight on things that actually do matter. And so we need to get to the bottom of this. What does God care about? How does God want us to be assured? Because I want to just say this morning in some beautiful news that the Bible actually promises and declares that god wants you to have assurance it doesn't have to be a mystery like you don't have to you don't have to go through life wondering if you're in the home you don't have to go through life wondering if god really loves you those things will happen but the bible declares god's heart for you is he wants you to have assurance just like if you're married you know that you love your wife and you want or your husband you want your spouse to know that you love Oh, what a hard relationship that would be if, if both people were always doubting if the other person was for them. You wouldn't actually have a strong relationship. And so maybe the weakened relationship you feel and experience is just because you're looking at the wrong things and doubting things you don't need to. And this is what the Bible says so beautifully, about the Holy Spirit. By this we know. let's actually read this together on three. This is beautiful. One, two, three. By this, we know and have the proof that god really dwells in us by the spirit whom he has given us i love those two words i'm banking on those two words by this we what by this we guess by this we kind of feel no by this we know and if that wasn't strong enough john says that we have proof proof is something you can look to to point to a reality by this we know when we have proof. It feels like John is saying, loved ones, you don't have to keep on figuring this out and wondering every time. You can have an assurity and a confidence in who Jesus is to you and who you are to God. So the question I wanna to ask today simply is, how does the Holy Spirit give us assurance of salvation? How does he, because the Bible is saying, the Spirit gives us this ability to know and have proof. What is the Holy Spirit doing in us to give us this confidence? And see, you have to know this because you've got to look on the right things. You can't be looking at the wrong signs. You've got to look at the right signs. And I am just, this was a, a difficult sermon to put together only because I've never heard a message on this. I've never actually studied this. I've never heard people talk about this. This is buried in Romans 8, this reality uh, that we're going to just kind of dive into one main way the Holy Spirit does this. Among many other signs of being saved, there is something. Specific the Spirit does. So, the outline, if you're taking notes, is three kind of phases we're going to work through. One, before we answer that question, I want to just address the enemies of your assurance. There's three enemies that you might not be aware of that are actually chipping away your ability to have confidence in the salvation you possess. And you need to know those so you're aware that maybe nothing is wrong with your salvation. Maybe it's actually being attacked by some things that you're not aware of, you're letting in. Then we're going to look at the Spirit's witness spend most of our time there, and then end looking to Jesus as the ground of our assurance and how we can have confidence walking out. So, number one, the enemies of assurance. What are the things that are threatening our ability to actually have this confidence in what Jesus has done? I want to say this really clearly. Your assurance is not invincible from the spiritual war we are all engaged in. Your confidence is not invincible from the spiritual. The Bible says you and I walk into every day a spiritual war. There are things that are happening that you and I can't see. And you cannot imagine that every other part of your life is vulnerable to that attack, but your assurance isn't. Your assurance is vulnerable to the spiritual war you and I are walking around into, which matters because you have to understand, why do I keep questioning maybe it's because things are attacking the very root of your confidence so i want to give you three things that hopefully will set some eyes and vision and clarity around this is probably why i'm doubting in ways that i didn't think would cause me to doubt number one satan number two sin and number three self satan sin and self number one the enemy of our assurance satan you have to know this we've talked about this often it cannot be forgotten as a follower of jesus in this world satan is called the father of lies so oftentimes this picture of a devil with horns and a pitchfork doing things making people do things in this witchcraft that is not godly that could be satanic but the number one thing the bible wants you to think about when you think of your enemy is deception deception And the lies that Satan breathes into your life causes you and I to doubt. Why would God want to love you? Satan says to you. Have you seen yourself? Have you seen your browser history? Have you seen the way you spend money? Have you seen the past of your life? Have you seen the way you treated that person? Why would God want to love you? And Satan loves to rub in your face these lies that God is never going to love a person like. And of course, that lie will cause us to start wondering at the moment we start partnering with it. Satan points your attention to the world and says, God's not good. Look at all the evil around you. If he can't get you to doubt that you are not loved, he'll get you to doubt God's existence and goodness. Look at the suffering that your family has gone through. Look at the difficulty God allowed you to go through. How can he be good if he allows this much evil? And Satan knows he can twist what is happening make us look and say, I doubt God's goodness. And then, lastly, he will make you look at your own life and say, you really haven't changed. It's just an act. It's just behavior modification. You're just following rules. And this is so deceptive. Remember, the Bible says Satan actually comes to us as an angel of light. What does that mean? He's not trying to give us 100% lies. He's trying to show us there's some truth in these things, and the rest is lie. Why? Because that's the most deceptive kind of lie, the one that looks true, the one that sounds true, the one that might be true, but really isn't true. And so Satan wants you to get, you have not really changed at all. You're just acting. And of course, as we partner with these lies, it's going to make us doubt God's assurance and salvation. Number two, not just Satan, but sin. It's interesting that if Satan can't do something on the outside, he will leverage the sin that we have. You and I, we're imperfect, broken people. I just got this. Uh, Megan is homesick, Megan, uh, Brendan, but Megan got me this sign. I'm going to put it on my desk. It's a wooden sign. And, and can you guess what it says? Ratchet but righteous. Come on, somebody. Ratchet but righteous. Oh, why are you clapping? Are you affirming that in my life? <laughs> Psst. Ratchet but righteous. I'm putting it right in my desk so everyone can see it when they come in. Just be aware, this pastor's ratchet but righteous. Before, so what does our, our 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 sin cause in us? Well, it causes guilt, and that guilt has caused us to distance ourselves from God. How do you know that, Chris? Because I've experienced that in my own life. When I sin, I get overwhelmed with guilt. And the guilt's not from God, it's from my own life and from Satan. The guilt and the shame, when I sit in it, it keeps me from God. When you feel dirty, you don't want to walk into God's presence. Though you know the gospel, the sin that you're staring at says you're dirty, you're not worthy, and so you feel like you have to isolate yourself. And that sin, because you're allowing the guilt to stay on your identity, keeps you from walking into your loving Father's presence. And so guilt... Because of sin, if we sit in that guilt and don't rehearse the gospel, sin will start to chip away, that guilt will start to chip away and cause a distance in relationship. When you think the other person is mad at you in your relationships, you do not usually enter in, you step back. And so that guilt makes you think God is not for you, God does not love you, God is, God is angry at you, that guilt you feel makes you at a distance saying, I'm not going to interact with God at a close level because I have this stuff I'm carrying. And so it causes you, because you're distant, to start wondering, am I really in the family or not? So Satan tells you lies that make you doubt. Sin causes guilt that causes distance. But I think this is the most deceptive one, self. What is it about self that causes us to doubt? It's an introspection that debilitates us. So much of our thoughts are a glorified navel-gazing that paralyzes us from having any sense of movement in God's story. So much of our inner thought and language is us scrutinizing everything we do. You're looking within saying, did I say this right? Did I do this right? And you're overanalyzing. You're stuck ever- analyzing every motive. And you're like, ooh, I didn't have that pure motive. Oh, did I actually feel this? And what makes it worse is the introspection leads you to compare yourself with others. Well, look at what that person's experiencing. Look at how high they raise their hands. Look at how much they obey Jesus. Look at how far they are in their Bible reading. Look at how mature they are. And what happens? All this stuff starts to make you go, I am really not in the family because I'm not like them. And that is a, a lie in the pit of hell because your relationship to God is not based on someone else's relationship with God. God saves you, not you guys together, you and you and you. And so you have a personal relationship with God. There's standards and things that we need to do to follow Jesus because life with him has a certain kind of way to it. But you are going to hurt yourself and freeze your own confidence and actually tear it apart if you're always looking within. This is what I feel. This is what I think. This is what I didn't do. And some of us are so weighed down by this constant introspection that we have no energy to look up at Jesus. The pastor, the Bible, the friend tells us to look at these things, but we can't because our energy is consumed at looking within. I just want you to know your lack of assurance might not mean a false salvation. It might just mean you have a distorted perspective on things. I don't want you to think that because I have doubt, I have some doubt and questioning that this salvation is not real. I think many of us, I see your fruits, have been saved by Jesus and are in the family and are just looking at the wrong and need to address our gaze and readdress and refocus it back on the things that God wants us to focus, that gives us confidence. You and I cannot live in this kind of broken world with that kind of lack of confidence. It makes it so difficult. And I want you to be set free to have a freedom and joy that you can run around in the house. See, when you don't know you belong to the house, the kid walks around kind of like, you know, or the adult, the adult walks around kind of, ooh, I don't know if I can sit here, can I sit here? But the kid, the kid walks around like, I own this joint. And they're jumping on couches they're in the pantries they're riding around like they're wiling out like this is my spot I go to people's homes and my kids are like wiling out I'm like, hey you don't you're not even allowed to sit there and they're like oh it's fine why do my kids have that feeling they have this sense of acceptance and confidence that they just let them run free some of you you're at the door still God can I sit down there God can I go over there and God's like stop it and come in and sit on the couch take off your shoes you're, you're a part of my family come in a little bit stop wondering if you can open the pantry stop asking nicely if you can get a drink from the fridge and take a drink from the fridge that might be a prophetic word from the spirit i don't know what it means but some of you need to take take some drinks from the fridge you need to act like you belong because you belong and if you don't have assurance you will not never take access to what jesus has made available to you so Let me ask you some questions before we move on. You need to think about this. Are you partnering with the lie? I want you to sift out. I'm not really saved. No, no, no. Maybe you are saved. You are saved. You are saved. God loves you. Jesus died for you. You're forgiven. But you're doing these things that are cheapening your assurance. Are you partnering with the lie? Are you indulging sin? Loved ones, you cannot do that and not expect an outcome to change in your life and an effect to happen that is negative if you're indulging sin. You're gonna feel the effects of that. And then lastly, are you staring at yourself? It's so helpful to see, man, in my eyes, are they looking at Christ, looking at his word, his truth, or am I just stuck staring at myself? And if that's the case, you're gonna have a really hard time feeling welcomed because God wants you to stare at him to find your assurance. So let's go back to the question. What does the Spirit do to help us be assured? What is the Spirit doing to kind of counteract these enemies of our assurance? If you wouldn't mind standing with me for the reading of God's Word again, Romans 8, we're going to read this together, and I want you to stand with me to receive this. Some good spiritual kinesthetics. If you wouldn't mind reading with this, Romans 8, 14, 17, on three, let's read this together. One, two, three. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. God's word, I can just leave it there, and it is powerful. But there are some treasures buried in this that I want to just unearth for you in the next 20-something minutes. Let's look at this together. Romans 8:16. This is the highlight. He says: the Spirit Himself bears witness with our Spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit is bearing witness with our spirit. The Holy Spirit's coming, another verse in Galatians says, the Holy Spirit has come into our hearts to do this. What? To help us know we are really children of God. What does bear witness mean? Well, it's so beautiful to hear that it really means to authenticate by evidence. So the Holy Spirit is, is in you, God's presence is in you, authenticating by real evidence who you are according to Christ. He's coming in and testifying to you to confirm a reality. The Holy Spirit often does this as you read the scriptures. You, you hear the gospel and, and God's word, and the Holy Spirit takes the words off this page and makes it jump out and land as a personal testimony to you and I. So many of us have experienced that. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's job is to testify to us. One of his jobs and roles is to bear witness that what we're reading is not a historical, like, story it's reality for you and i he's making that a reality he's bearing witness the holy spirit is confirming our new identity as god's children but in a very personal way it doesn't say the holy spirit is like doing something out there it says inside of us at the deepest part of our inner being the holy spirit is testifying to our spirit so the question is how does this happen that's the good news that's really good news. The Holy Spirit's doing that. He's trying to confirm this is who you are in Christ. So we don't have to keep wondering, but you have to know how that happens for you to actually realize it's happening. See, this could be happening the whole time. And if you don't know it's a part of the Holy Spirit's work, you can overlook it because you don't, you are maybe neglecting that part of what the Holy Spirit is doing. So how does this happen? How does he testify? What kind of evidence is he giving us to be confirmed that you and I are really children of god that we belong in the home well just a verse before that in romans 8 14 last week we talked about this paul says for all who are led by the spirit of god are sons of god now i want to make this a really small point the reason why it says sons of god and not daughters of god oftentimes translations mix this up and they want to say daughters and sons of god because they want to be like equal to all genders I think that actually ruins the equality for all genders because what the Bible is trying to help you see is that back then sons were the only one getting inheritance; daughters did not. And so, what is Paul doing? He's helping you see now all of us are getting inheritance in Christ, not just the men of that culture. You have now been chosen as a son, not because you're a male, but because you now are get, you're an heir. Only males were heirs. Now you're an heir. So all of us are now heirs of God's promises, every single one. And he says, those who are led by the Spirit are children of God, sons of God. And we talked about, what does that mean? Well, to be led by the Spirit, it's not just like to be zipped around in different directions. We talked about this last week. It means to, to uh, the Spirit's witness is that he is leading us to hate sin, kill sin, and bear fruits. Remember Romans eight thirteen says, if you, Put to death the deeds of the body. By the Spirit, you will live. So he's wanting you to see being led by the Spirit means that you're making war against your sin. You're not settling with it. You're not coddling it. You're looking at it and saying, this is destructive to God's creation, his plan, and my life. And I'm actually against it. And so one of the ways the Spirit testifies to you that you're in the family is that you make war against your sin. And that you bear fruits of the Holy Spirit. You hate sin and you love God and his word. That's why First John says, and by this we know that we have come to know Christ. How? That's a big sentence. How? If we keep his commandments. See how this doesn't have to be a guessing game? This is not saying perfectly keep, always keep, never not keep. It's saying if we continually keep his commandments. The overarching line of First John is that you're going to have sin, but do you love to obey God? Do you desire to obey God? Because if you do, You're gonna follow him, and the Holy Spirit is testifying to you, you are in the family, because your heart has been changed. You actually want to follow your king. But that's not the only evidence. The one I wanna focus on is something a little bit more difficult to understand, but hopefully we'll bring some clarity. 8.15 says this, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, you have received the spirit of adoption. I find this interesting this is intentionally not capitalized because he's talking about just the sense of slavery that we have before jesus versus the actual holy spirit of adoption by which we cry abba father so paul is saying the difference is before jesus you related to god like a slave what does that mean you related to god in fear and in actual anxiety you were you had this apprehension, you didn't want, like, you knew you couldn't go in and, and you didn't deserve it and so you had to just follow rules and, and have this distance of relationship because slaves are not in the homes, or on the outside and, and you have this burden on your back. Paul's saying before Jesus, you had this kind of relation to God, this fear, but look at what the Holy Spirit does to you. He adopts you and now you have the spirit of adoption. How, how does that change Anything? Now you relate to God in confidence. Before you had this fear, there's no way I can do this. I hear people tell me all the time, there's no way I can step into the church. The whole church would fall down. Like your sin? You think we're not sinful? You come inside here and wait till you hear all of our mess. The church is still standing. The school is still standing. But you have fear. And the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and switches the light bulb on. And now you have confidence where there was fear and where there was anxiety. You have peace come on this is a real testimony of how you see god and relate to god from fear to confidence from anxiety to peace and now your relationship is altered by love and defined by love not apprehension there's actual relationship back then slaves didn't have that kind of relationship with their masters in that kind of sense you are not a slave the bible says you are a friend and a child you're in the home so you have a relationship and you actually are getting an inheritance And so the Holy Spirit's testifying, you are a child, you're a child, you belong, you can have confidence. The Holy Spirit's witness to us is a change in how we view and relate to God based on our new status as children. It sounds subjective, but it's really concrete that now the Holy Spirit, Paul says, is coming into your heart, into your deepest part of your being to testify, to make you look up at God and say, now he's my father, I'm his child, I belong. Do you have that experience? Do you have that sense of feeling? Again, you're not going to feel it 100% of the time perfectly. Why? Because there are things that are coming against your assurance. But do you have that sense at any given time where you look up to God and you're not in fear because you're scared, but you have confidence because of what Jesus has done by his blood? That's why the Bible says he stirs up this cry. It says Cry. That word is like a, like a cry of a vulture. <laughs> Hopefully you're not squawking or squeaking, but there's a, a sense where there's a, a loud, intense cry, and it's like a child screaming out, Father, Father! So the Holy Spirit is inside of you, helping you look to God and exclaim, Father, Father! It's an emotionally charged cry of help, of trust, and relief. I think of like my son who is in my home, and if something happens and, he, and he's hurt, dad, dad, screams out. Or maybe he's scared in bed, something happened. Dad, like he's, he gets really loud when he's screaming. You know my son. A child exclaiming, dad. Or when he's excited, there's a the confidence, dad, dad. See, it's not out of fear, it's out of a need for help, out of trust, out of relief, out of excitement. He's looking to me and he knows he can call my name and I will come. Do you see that about your heavenly father? Is there a cry welling up inside of you to say, you're my father and I'm this helpless, needy child and you're my father and I don't have anything figured out. You have everything figured out. So God, dad, help me. And that's why Paul uses the word Abba, not just father. Abba wasn't a word usually used in the Greek and definitely not the Jewish culture. It was an Aramaic word that jesus uses to introduce god as our father j.i packard says the primary way christians should view god is through the lens of a father because so that is how jesus spoke to god as a father yes he's lord he's king he's sovereign ruler but now because of jesus he broke down the veil you can have a relationship with your father and fathers are for their children he's for you abba means daddy this is intimate sense where I'm not just proclaiming a role like, you're my father. It's different than my son being, my, t- my son doesn't say father. He says, dad! Or my daughter, when she's hurt and she's crying. And she, all she can say is, daddy. You know what that means? That, that tear, that's, that teary eye, just her cheeks are stained with tears. I've been in her bunk bed processing through sin. I've been in her, in her room processing through different questions of life and she is just crying out and all she can say is, Daddy, not out of fear, but I had a sense of relief and trust and confidence and I'm gonna help her out and she has me. This is not a dry, doctrinal statement. What Paul is saying is not you see the, that Jesus made God father and so you see it in the Bible and you just say, God's my father, like a robot. That's not what's happening. This is not an assent to a doctrinal truth. Is this a doctrinal truth that God's your father? Yes and yes. But this is not a, I agree that God's my father. This is a cry that God's my father. You see the difference? Anyone can agree that God is a father of Christians. The Bible says that Satan, Satan knows God's character. Satan knows God's word. So what's the difference? Well, Satan... And even unbelievers know that God is called the Father. But what's happening is in other, other people's hearts, it's not welling up as an internal cry. This is an authentic cry from the heart. It's an internal confidence welling up that I know my God, that he is my Father. And if you know that through the gospel, then how you relate to life and God and, and, and holiness and everything else revolves around God being your Father who is for you and loves you. I love what John Piper says. He says, we don't infer logically the fatherhood of God from the testimony of the Spirit. It's not just a logical deduction. We enjoy emotionally the fatherhood of God by the testimony of the Spirit. The witness of the Spirit is not a premise from which we deduce that we are children of God. Oh, look at this, one plus one equals two. It is a power by which we delight in being the children of God. I was thinking about this this morning. This is the difference between um, reading the thermostat and feeling the weather. See, when it goes from really hot to cold, I've been in multiple places. I've been in Tahoe, and it's really cold. I've been in Arizona, and that's probably the closest place to hell. I love you if you love that place. But it's burning hot, and God's glory is—I'm not going to make it. Okay, never mind. Um, it's hot, okay? And uh, it's one thing to say, I know the weather changed because I see the thermostat another thing to say i feel the change of the weather in my body this is not a i see that god's my father because the bible tells me so it's true this is more of a the bible tells me so it's true but i feel that god's my father And sometimes in christian circles we look down at as feelings as they have no warrant of assurance and that's not true because god made your emotions So your emotions can be filters by which God is doing things. Actually, so much so because the Bible talks about joy so much. And joy is an emotion, but what I would like to call it as an affection. And that when Jesus saves you, he gives you new affections, new emotions. So do you have broken emotions sometimes? Yes. Do you always feel joy? No. I feel despair sometimes, depression, discouragement. But there is an inner sense of, of emotion and feeling that God is my father. He's, it's an assurance at the deepest part of my being. And you can't just rationalize it with your mind, though you know that it's true. Here's what the spirit is doing. The spirit's witness is to reveal and direct your endless need to your heavenly father's all sufficient care. That's what the spirit is doing in you. If i could say it really simply he reveals your endless need as a child and then he shows you wow god is your father and all your endless needs can be met in your heavenly father's presence and glory and power he shows you your child empty-handed and god has everything that you need and then he connects that saying where do i go with my need as a child as a beggar as a humble child who has nothing to figure out on my own The Holy Spirit says, you can bring that need to your father because of Jesus. You can bring that need to your father. Why? Because he's for you and wants to help you out. That's why Paul ends with Romans 8 saying, he literally says, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Nothing Neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present nor things come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You will, be, you will doubt at, in your walk with Jesus, but at some point in your walk, if you are really a child of God, you will say amen and yes to that. I know nothing will separate me from the love of God. Oh, there's moments where I doubt. There's moments where sin creeps in and guilt there's moments where i'm staring at myself but then the moments you allow the holy spirit to do the work in you through obedience and scripture he points your gaze up and says look at your father take your eyes off of yourself kid. look at your father look at what jesus has died to accomplish give you access to your father that's why hebrew says now we can boldly walk into the throne room now we're not just talking about a kid jumping on a couch we're talking about a beggar that used to be an enemy now having bold access to the throne room. Why do you have bold access to God's throne room? The same throne room that Isaiah last week said, Holy, holy, holy. How do you have access to that? Because of Jesus. Because his blood has cleansed you. Not because you were so awesome. It's because Jesus said, I love you so much. I'm gonna set my love upon you. I'm gonna die to tear the veil so you can be righteous, so you can be perfect, so you can enter in with confidence, not wavering as God for me, but believing with assurance that God is for me because of what Jesus has done. And I wanna just end with helping us see this at the clearest way, because I think some of us might walk away because the devil is so good at doing this and just kind of... he tease this question out. Are you just relying on what you feel to assure you? Chris is talking about an emotion, a feeling, a, a sense of conviction and confidence. And yes, it, it's real, but, but how, how tangible is this thing? It sounds such subjective. Is this objective? And some of us want it really objective. We want to be able to 1 plus 1 equals 2. And this doesn't sound like that. And so I don't want you to walk away thinking that you have to just rely on what you feel and the moment you stop feeling it, it's gone. So I want you to really just focus the next two minutes, three minutes, on what the real grounds of your assurance is. The Holy Spirit is doing this work. But look at what Hebrews says. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have, what does he say? Confidence. Confidence to enter the holy places. Holy. You don't belong there. But why do you have confidence? By the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, a mediator between us and God, let us draw near with what? Wavering? With what? Doubt and skepticism? Cynicism? No. Let us draw near with the true heart in full assurance of faith. Here's what I want you to to hear as you leave. You aren't relying on your feelings or on your fruit, but Christ's sacrifice, which produces in you new feelings and new fruit. Don't leave here thinking I'm relying on my feelings and the fruit's coming out of my life and that's what gives me security. If that's the case, you're never gonna have true security because those go up and down. Don't interchange the source with the signs. Don't interchange and mix up the source with the signs. The sign of assurance is that the Holy Spirit inside you is making you look at God and say, I have confidence now because of Jesus. He's my father. I can go to him and ask for whatever I need. The source is not that. The source is Christ's sacrifice and resurrection that produces that new feeling, and that gives you that new fruit. It'd be so bad if we were looking just at the feelings and fruit because you would not be able to have the assurance that God wants you to have. So as you think, how do I have this confidence? How do I have this assurance? What the Holy Spirit, what is he doing? Yes, he's doing this testimony in your heart, but what he's ultimately doing, what Jesus says, is glorifying Jesus, making Jesus bigger in your view, making you look at Jesus and say, he's, the source of confidence. The Holy Spirit takes your focus off of, ooh, did I do this right? Check this box. And locks your eyes on Christ. And that's why the old Puritans used to say, for every one look you take at yourself, take 10 looks to Christ. And that applies for assurance more than ever before. Every look within that you take, am I saved? And you need to. The Bible says, test if you're in the faith. This is a good thing. Difference between question and constant introspection question but then he says for one look at yourself then look up and take 10 looks at christ for whatever you see in yourself that's insufficient christ will be sufficient whatever you see in yourself that says i don't have all the signs and all the perfect rates and and the streak of bible reading that i think i need and the holy spirit says yes god's your father and look up so i've done what you cannot do and you can throw your full weight on me, not on what you feel, not on the fruit that's coming out. What is a true Christian? A true Christian is simply a child confidently crying out to their father, running into his arms, resting on his love, and receiving all his care. I love that the picture of a a true Christian is not I'm walking around with pure victory, like a warrior going to battle. There's moments of that. But the actual picture the Holy Spirit is doing is you're a child that needs your dad. Open your hands. It's not, I'm strong. It's, I'm weak. I have it all figured out. No, I have nothing figured out. And God, you're my father, and I trust that you're going to figure things out. That's the witness of the Holy Spirit, that you surrender and help humble confidence, and you look look up to God, you stop looking within yourself, and you say, God, you're able to take care. That might seem like a small thing but let me tell you in this world full of ego and pride and self-sufficiency and self-reliance that's not happening in people's hearts it takes a work of the spirit to provide that kind of humility to look up to God and say i need you and so don't think that's too small of an assurance that is the holy work the holy spirit's work of assurance in your life I don't want to end this with just a, a quick discussion like we usually do. Is this helpful? The formation moments. But I have a sense that some of us, um, we need to pray through these things. Because there's probably a thousand thoughts going around in your head whether you feel this or not. Do I feel it strongly? Am I really saved? Or do I do? I don't know if I had this kind of thing. And, and what I don't want you to do is walk away with more introspection. So I want to ask some questions. And as. The ladies lead us in worship. We're going to have some folks up here, if the prayer team will come up here, maybe two or three folks up here, the rest of the team will be available. And we're going to do what we did a couple of weeks ago and just make ourselves available for prayer, but also make ourselves available to pray and ask for one another. If you don't want to come up, that's no problem. You can ask your neighbor. Like, humble yourself. Do what the Holy Spirit is providing for. Humble yourself and say, would you pray for me? And here's the questions. Simply, are you wavering back and forth Maybe you aren't as much now. Maybe you still are, and you feel like you don't have the confidence that we talked about. Do you not see God like this? You might be in here and you don't see God as your Father. You have fear. Maybe you've had a, a father who was not there or hurts you, and so it's really hard to see God as a good Father. And it's not because you're not saved; it's because you need to work through that and pray. And I, I would highly encourage you: don't try to figure it out logically ask god to humble you so you can get some prayer from someone so the holy spirit can do this work and lastly if you need assurance today just a fresh sense of assurance because the holy spirit's work is not a one-time thing he continues to well up this cry "Abba, father if you need a fresh sense of assurance from the holy spirit i ask that you would humble yourself and ask for prayer. would you stand with me We're gonna sing a song called, No Longer Slaves, We're Children of God. And I want that to wash over this church, that you would know your true identity. And I would ask, if you sense the spirit calling you to pray for someone else too, let's do this. Let's not just be participants that we're looking at from a distance. Let's actually receive with open hands. So would you close your eyes, maybe just open your hands as a sign of surrender. Father, we just ask that you would Make yourself known right now, God. Make yourself known in a way that is clear. Make yourself known in a way that can only be described by the power of your Holy Spirit. If there are people wavering and questioning and doubting and struggling under this sense of I'm never good enough, I'm not in the home, God, I pray by the power of your Spirit and the truth of the gospel, you would take that away right now. Give them rest where there's anxiety and restlessness. Give them peace and calmness where there's apprehension and worry and doubt. God, would you minister to us through the power of your word and your spirit. As we sing and surrender, we're asking that you humble us to have faith-filled eyes and look at you as our good Father who is for us. Abba, Father, we need you, we love you, and we trust you as our only hope. In Jesus' name, amen. You can come up front, you can ask for prayer, you can kneel. Make this a time with you and the Lord to do work. If you need something, Mm -hmm. don't just try to figure out yourself. There are people, brothers and sisters, that want to minister and bless you as the Holy Spirit leads. Let's come before the Lord and worship Him as our Father. Amen.